Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Springbrook Church at Home. Uh, if you don't know, my name is Tom. I'm the lead pastor here at Springbrook, and I'm really glad that we could uh, just be together a little bit this morning to open up the Bible. So if you have a Bible and would like to follow along with us, we're in a, we're in a series through the book of Isaiah, and we are in chapter 46 this morning. So if you have a Bible or want to get your your phone out and uh, look along with us at chapter 46. That would be great. Um, before we get into this, let me just uh, say how much I, I miss you guys. Uh, we are, I don't know how many weeks it's been now since we've been apart. I, I want to say we're pushing eight weeks, something like that, seven, eight weeks now. And uh, man, it's getting really, uh, it's frustrating, isn't it? Like the first couple weeks, uh, that we that we were a part, you know, it kind of felt like a snow day a little bit for me because uh, this is a part of my routine, you know, going going to church every Sunday. It's what we do. It's like it's my my family. We're a ministry family, and that's what we do. And so, not having that time um, with you all has been really difficult for us. Disjointing. It felt a little fun at first because it was a change of pace, but now it's just getting really old. And um, you know, it is what it is. But it, it's been a bit frustrating over the last couple of weeks. And I, I found myself, maybe you're like this, I, where it's like these little things that are normally just kind of nuisances uh, or a little annoying have become much more annoying. And, and, have, and I found myself being a, a bit snappy and frustrating. And yeah, and I'm sure um, some of you are there too. So one of the things that I'm really encouraged by is the text in front of us, Isaiah 46. And originally my plan was to teach through 46 and 47 this morning to take both of those chapters um, and just to make some progress. But as I read chapter 46, I just was, I felt like God sort of punched me in the gut a little bit and, and I felt very convicted by what I saw. And uh, so I'm going to just slow it down a, a little bit here, and we're going to just, just do chapter 46. And it's not a real long chapter. It's only 13 verses. But I think just really slowing down on this particular chapter is going to be helpful for us. Um, and, and just what's there is it's gold, and I just don't want us to fly past it quickly. And so uh, we're just going to really hone in on one chapter today and then Next week, we'll do a couple chapters, I'm sure. But, but this week, um, I'm just really, really impressed by how God is using his word in my life right now in this season um, to remind me of his sovereignty, to remind me of his goodness, to remind me of his grace. And I hope that that's true for you too. I hope that God's word has been uh, speaking to your life in a, in a really profound way because we need this. We need his word more than ever. Um, I shouldn't say more than ever. That's probably the wrong way to say it. But, but it feels like we need it more than ever because of the circumstances we're in. And so um, if, if nothing else, this, this time apart from each other has, I, for me at least, been, been clarifying. It's, it's really pointed out to me a lot of the the idols in my own heart. Um, a lot of, we've been talking about heart level idols now for a couple of weeks. 
and just through the, the text in front of us. And man, I've seen those idols starting to come out and, and those are opportunities for me to repent to the Lord and, and, to, and to bring those things to Jesus. So Isaiah 46 is going to be another chapter that I hope is helpful to you. It's, it's been extremely helpful to me this week and I've just been blown away by it. So let's, let's dive into it. Um, we're going to read just the first couple of verses to start and we'll talk about what we're seeing there uh, as it kind of sets up the whole stage for the rest of the chapter. And, and then we'll just continue to work through this passage. Um, he, here's what it says. Verse 1, Bell bows down, Nebo stoops. Their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are borne as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together, they cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. All right, so let's, let's just talk about what we're seeing there because I think it, it sets the stage for everything else we're going to see. Um, in verse 1, we're introduced to two idols. Their names are Bel and Nebo. Nebo, Nebu, I don't know how to pronounce it. It doesn't really matter. Um, but we meet these two, um, these two idols. Now, if you're like me, you probably have no clue who these idols are. You've probably never heard their names, which I think is actually part of the point that we're supposed to get, get from this, you know, as we look at it in our own day. But in, in Isaiah's day, these were well-known, well-understood who these were. And we're introduced to two different gods. One is Bel, and Bel was the patron god of Babylon, meaning that he was the king of the gods. He, he was the determiner of the destinies of nations. He was at the pinnacle of their pantheon. And so if you've ever studied um, or, or have even just a surface level understanding of, of the pantheon of the Greek gods, Greek mythology, you know that there's a hierarchy of gods and the, the Greeks had hundreds and hundreds of gods um, in fact, we know from the Bible in Acts chapter 17 that the Greeks had so many gods and they were concerned that they might forget one or not know one that they actually set up an altar to an unknown god, which is an interesting thing. Um, and Paul actually uses that. This is not really part of the sermon, but you're getting it for free. Uh, Paul uses that idol or that, that altar to an unknown god to talk to the people in Athens about Jesus. Because what he says is, you guys have all these gods and you have no idea that you are actually missing the true God. And so here's this unknown God and I'll tell you who he is. I'll tell you who he is. Anyways, that, that's, that's what we're dealing with here, right? This pantheon of gods and ancient Babylon had its own set of gods that were different from the Greeks and the Romans and all the, all the rest. So we're, we're, unless you're like a Babylonian ancient, you know, antiquity scholar, you probably don't know about the pantheon of, of the 
gods of, of um, Babylon. But Bel was basically the, the uh, what's his name, the Zeus of, of Babylon. He was the, the top god, okay? Now, we also have Nebo. And, and Nebo was supposedly the oldest son, the eldest son of Bel. And his job was to serve as the secretary of the council of gods. And he was the one who took care of the tablets of destiny, whatever those are. I'm just really just reading what I've studied from commentaries and, and histories. And so uh, th- this is, I don't know a whole lot about this stuff. I'm not an expert in any of this. But, but I'm just telling you that that's what these gods were. And in fact, the Bible introduces us to these gods indirectly, um, actually in the names, uh, in the Babylonian names of Belshazzar and Nebuchadnezzar. Those kings of Babylon that we meet in the book of Daniel um, were actually derived from these two gods. Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar comes from Bel and Nebo. And, and so here, here's the thing. These gods, these two idols in particular, represented the ideals of Babylonian culture. In the official view of Babylon, uh, it was the authority of these gods that validated that nation as a leader in, of the culture of the world. And, and they believed that these gods gave them the authority to take over all the land around them. They believed that these gods validated their whole, their whole premise. And so this whole belief was acted out, and this is what, uh, this is what Isaiah is alluding to. Uh, it was acted out every year at their New Year festival. Um, the images of Bel and Nebo were carried around in procession, in a big parade, through the city as tokens of good fortune for the coming year. All right, so, so what uh, Isaiah is referring to here, when he talks about them carrying these gods, he's referring to this, this practice of of parading the images of these gods through the streets of Babylon and the cities around it. But notice this. In verse 2 it says, They stoop, they bow down together, they cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. So what Isaiah is showing us here is that these gods, these so-called gods, are not true gods at all. They're, they're just the images of gold and silver. They have no power or authority. They can't even save themselves or move themselves. They have to be carried by men and beasts. You know, that's, that's really profound. And, and so here, here's what we're seeing. Uh, this is in verse 3 and 4, we're going to get to what God really wants to speak into this situation. So we're going to see a contrast, a pretty clear contrast. Look at verse 3 and 4. It says, Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel. 
who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he, and to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made, I will bear, I will carry, and will save. Do you see the amazing contrast that God is trying to show us today? There is a difference between the gods that, that we carry and the God who carries us. It's like, I, I couldn't make that up if I wanted to. That is just so good. Only God could do that. There, there is this contrast in the first four verses. The first two verses talk about the gods that we carry as burdens. And verse three and four talk about the God who carries us from before we were born all the way through our lives to our gray hairs and ultimately even to our, to our death. God bears us. God carries us. God saves us. We don't carry him. He carries us. It's an amazing thing. And so this passage, the the real heart of this passage is to teach us that there are two paths that we can take in life. Either we carry the burden of our false gods, our hopes, our dreams, or we let the true God carry us all the way to himself. That's, those are the paths that we can take in life. Either we carry the burdens of our false gods, hopes, and dreams, or the true God carries us all the way to himself. Verse 5 through 7, let's keep reading, um, because this is where God is going to just continue to talk about the false gods that we carry and how burdensome they really are. It says, To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales hire a goldsmith and he makes it a god. Makes it into a god. Then they fall down and worship. They lift it to their shoulders They carry it. They set it in its place, and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. God is saying, here's the contrast. You either bear the burden of the gods you trust in that cannot help you, cannot save you, cannot get you where you need to go, or you trust in the God who is unlike any of those gods, who actually can carry you, who actually can lift you up and carry your burdens and, and shoulder all of your weight, or else you're, you're shouldering all the weight for yourself. It's a powerful, powerful message we need to hear. What God is saying to us is this. The gods that we carry cannot even 
move themselves. They have to be carried by us. So what God is saying to us is this. He's, he's a- basically asking us a question. Would you rather keep carrying your gods on your shoulders and everywhere you go, or would you rather have him carry you and bring you safely to himself? Is, that's, that's the question in front of us. God is saying, wouldn't you rather have me carry you than you carry some false god? That's an important question. And I, I think that I've been reminded of this over the, the week, and I think the reason why this, this particular passage has struck me so profoundly is because uh, I think we, we all, and, and I'm talking to myself here, I think I, think I have uh, often tried to carry the burdens of my false hopes, of my false dreams, of my false expectations, of my false gods. I've been there. I've done that. And I think that what we're seeing now um, with, with the way that the world is at this very moment is that those things become really clear to us. The ways that we are shouldering the burdens of our false gods of our false hopes, of our heart-level devotions to other things, we're shouldering those burdens and God is saying to us, no, no, no. I'm supposed to shoulder you. I'm to carry you. Let go of the things you're carrying and give them to me and I'll carry you all the way to myself. This is a really helpful passage to show us that. So let me just, let's just talk for a few moments here about the false gods we do carry. If, if you're like me, the gods you are shouldering today are probably not made from silver or gold, but we carry the burdens of a lot of other things. And I just want to give you some examples that I've seen in my own, my own life and I've observed in the lives of, of others. And, and I want to show you actually from this text, because we still have some more verses to get through, that God actually draws out some of the common idols that we carry. And, and the first is this. The, I think this is hugely applicable for where we are right now. Um, is that one of the burdens we carry is the fear of the unknown. We burden ourselves with fear of things we don't know. Right? And if you think about that, it, it's, a, it's a very natural human thing to do. We, we don't know what the future holds, and so we start spinning fear in our heads and start getting all caught up in ourselves. And and that fear is really, really obvious right now in a lot of our lives because we don't know what the future holds. We don't know. And, and I think a lot of the, the things that I'm going to um, talk about today really are rooted in fear. They're just different uh, avenues of it. 
But I think fear is the, is the biggest thing that we, that we shoulder right now, at least. And that is the, especially of what's unknown to us. So let's look at verse uh, 8 through 11. And, and I think God's going to address this in particular. Look, look at what it says. It says, Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Now, here's what God is saying to us. And this, this is what we need to root our hope in. It's not in the God of fear that we're shouldering, but rather allow the God who not only knows all things, as he says here. He says, I am God, and there's none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things not yet done. He knows all things, even things that have not happened yet, right? But he's not only the God that knows all things, but he's actually the God who is sovereign over all things and will use all things to accomplish his purpose. We see it. We see it here. He says, my counsel, verse 10, my counsel shall stand. I will accomplish all my purpose. And then he says it again at the end of verse 11. I have spoken. I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. God is telling us here that the God that we should lean into and should trust in is not some God that we carry around with us but who carries us in his purposes to accomplish his sovereign will. God is the God who does all things, accomplishes all things, uses all things to bring about his ultimate end. And, and so what he's trying to steady our hearts in, why he's telling us at the beginning of this section in verse 8, he says, remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind. He says, don't, Forget this, because when you forget that I'm sovereign and in control and in purposing all things uh, according to my will, when you forget that, you start to shoulder these burdens that you were never meant to carry. But when we know him and and rest in him and, and trust in his sovereign goodness, then we can be freed from our burdens of fear of the unknown so that we can trust that he's using all things according to his will. And, and this is the, the deal, right? Like what we're going to see in the next two verses, the last two verses, remember this is a short chapter, just a couple more verses left. He, he's going to remind us of what his ultimate purpose is in all of this, in all of life. Here's what his purpose is. Listen to me, verse 12. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart, you who are far from righteousness, I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off. And my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for Israel my glory. 
God's ultimate purpose, what all of life is pointing to, is the story of redemption through Jesus. The whole work of God from the first day of creation to the last day of this world's existence before the new heavens and new earth are, are created for us. All of it from beginning to end is about Jesus and his redemptive purpose for us. It's all about him. It's all pointing to him. It's all, we should, we should, we need to get out of our heads and look at the bigger picture. Like the, the moment of time we're living in right now, this coronavirus and anything else that, that's going on in your life right now is just a drop in a bucket and, and it'll pass, it'll go away, but what will never go away is God's redemptive purpose for his people in Christ. That's what we have to steady our, our feet on. We need to be confident in his sovereignty in bringing about salvation through Christ. And that's what Paul reminds us of in Galatians 4, verse 4 through 7. Listen to what Paul says. He says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Paul says this, when the fullness of time had come. When Isaiah was writing, the fullness of time had not come. But there was a time when all of this, what Isaiah is pointing us to is this, that God is working his will. He's purposing his will. He's, he's accomplishing all of his, his intentions ultimately to when the time had come, when the fullness of all of this had come, God sent forth his son. Born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. God is saying to us this, that his purpose is fulfilled in the salvation that is offered to us in Jesus Christ. That's what Isaiah is telling us. And, and we, we have this very natural proclivity in our hearts to, to stop trusting in that or stop, to stop believing in that and rather to shoulder the burden of our own fears, shoulder the burden of our own purposes, shoulder the burden that cannot ultimately bring us into sonship, but rather into slavery. God is telling us that we do not need to fear the unknown because he knows all. You don't know all, I don't know all, but God does. And and. God is using all the things that we don't even know to bring about redemption in Christ. What a glorious thing. We don't need to fear. We don't need to sh shoulder that burden. Paul, uh, excuse me, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5, 7 that we should cast all of our anxieties on him because he cares for you. 
God is saying to you, there is no need to fear because I care for you. You don't need to cling to this fear of the unknown. You can give it all to me and I will carry it for you and I will care for you. That's one of the ways that this shows up. The the other way, and I think this is all rooted in, in fear to some degree or another, but another avenue that this takes is through the form of provision, right? That, that we can shoulder the burden of provision. One of the gods that we carry is, is the god of, of provision, wealth, having all that we need. Even if your desire is not to be rich, it, it can still very easily turn into this, um, I have to shoulder this burden of being provided for. And I, and I don't know how many of you are in this boat or not, I, 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 uh, but I know that this, this whole pandemic has really wrecked, wrecked havoc, wreaked havoc on the economy and on many people's jobs. And, and I know that we're living in uncertain times, right? And a lot of that, leads into a fear of not having the financial provisions that we need. And so we have one of two choices, right? We can, we can shoulder that fear and, and that burden on ourselves, or we can lean into the God who carries us all the way to himself. And in fact, Philippians 4.19 reminds us that God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And of course, Paul's pointing out the obvious. He's showing us that the ultimate need of ours is the need of salvation. Right? It's, this verse shouldn't be cherry-picked out of the context and just say, well, see, God's just going to give me whatever I think I need. There is an application to this that, yes, God will supply every need of yours, and, and that's for as long as God wants to keep you here and wants to keep you in, in, uh, on earth. And, and, and when he's done with us, when our time is up, when, then, then that's when he takes us to himself. But the ultimate need that he provides for us is in Christ Jesus through salvation. And he will provide every tangible physical need that we have for as long as he wants us here. So we don't need to shoulder this burden of fear of, of being able to provide because God is our provider. God is the one who provides for us in Christ. There's another uh, fear that I think we shoulder, especially now, um, and that is the, the fear of death. And I don't know how many of you are are truly concerned about this or not. I just know that there are a lot of people, especially if you're on social media in any capacity, you see this. It's right in front of us that people are truly terrified of this virus because they're terrified that they're going to catch it and, and potentially die. And, and listen, I mean, that's a legitimate thing, right? Like nobody wants to catch a virus and die. Nobody wants to, to do that. But there is something really incredible um, in the gospel that sets us free from this fear, this paralyzing fear of, of getting sick 
were dying. And it's found in one of the most famous verses in all of the Bible, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You see, for the Christian, our ultimate hope is not that we won't go through physical death, but that we will never experience eternal death in separation from God in hell. The promise of the gospel is that whoever believes in the one and only Son, Jesus Christ, will not perish, but have eternal life. That we have nothing but good to look forward to. That, that no matter what we may walk through here, no matter how, how nice our death may be or how painful our death may be, is irrelevant to the fact that when we cross over into that, into that distant land, as the old theologians used to say, we will not be outside of God's presence. We will actually be better off than we are here. Somebody once said, I thought it was profound. I don't know who said it. I can't give credit to anybody. I wish I could. But they, they said this, that for the Christian, for the person who is trusted in Jesus Christ, life right here and now is as close to hell as we'll ever get. And for those who don't trust in Christ, life right now will be as close to heaven as they ever get. And we need to hear that and take that to heart. Because what God has to offer us is this. He has to offer us the presence of himself. We don't need to be afraid. But it, and, and here's the thing. You, you probably have friends or family who are terrified because they do not have the assurance of eternal life. This may be the opportunity that you can step into to be bold and to offer words of comfort and consolation and encourage them to come to faith in Jesus because that's our only hope in life and death. That we are not our own, but belong to God, body, soul, and spirit and have been entrusted to Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian today, you probably have the, the assurance of that in your heart. Doesn't mean you won't wrestle or struggle with it. I think we all do. We're human. Nobody wants to think about their, their deathbed. But one of the things that this global pandemic has has done is it's caused us as a, as a world to come to grips with the reality that's always been there, that we are not immortal here on earth. But Jesus' words are simply, if you trust and believe in me, you will not perish, but have eternal life. That's a God who carries you rather than a God you carry. And there's one more. One more thing I just want to talk about, and that is this, that oftentimes one of the gods we carry is the need for approval. I struggle with this big time. I bet you do too, to some degree, that 
we feel the need to be liked, to be approved of. And, and when somebody steps in and says, you know, you're not all that important, you're not that big, you're not that impressive, if that's the God, if the God that we carry is the God of approval, then man, we are going to be crushed by it. We need to remember, we need to remember the gospel. That we don't have a God that we carry, but a God who carries us all the way to himself. And we need to be reminded by this God that Romans 8 verse 1 tells us there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. What that verse reminds us of is this, that if we are in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. There is no disapproval. There is no way that God looks at you and says, I don't like you. I don't want you. I want to condemn you. God does not do that to those in Christ Jesus. To those of us in Christ, because we've been given his righteousness, God looks at you and says, you're my son. You're my daughter. You are loved. You are accepted. You are approved. Not because of you or your goodness or, or, or anything you have to show him, but because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to you by faith. God looks at you and says, no condemnation. So here's, here's what that means. Um, this has been so helpful, and I have to keep coming back to this. There's a couple of quotes I'll give you. One is from a guy you've probably never heard of. Maybe you have because I've talked about him a little bit, but he's a dear friend of mine, a pastor named uh, Steve Treichler, pastors in Minneapolis. He's a dear brother to me. Uh, um, and and he, he reminds me of this as, as often as he can. He, it's just four words. I'm okay in Jesus. That's the gospel. That in Jesus... You're okay. You're accepted. You're approved of. Another quote that, that I, I love to remind myself of and go back to is from Larry Osborne. who's a pastor in San Diego. He says this, if you believe the gospel, you have nothing to prove and no one to impress. If you believe the gospel, you have nothing to prove. Why? Because Jesus has proven his righteousness already. And he has given that righteousness to you. And you have no one to impress. There's no one that you have to sh say, you know, I've really got to make them like me. Because God already approves of you in Christ. There is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. I hope this has been helpful to you. And I just want to conclude with one more verse from Matthew 11. It's one that I love. It's one that I run to all the time. 11.28. This, I think, brings it all together. This, this really does summarize all that Isaiah is saying in chapter 46 and brings it around to Jesus and what he's, 
here to do, what he came to do, and what he calls us to. Verse 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are, what does he say? All of you who labor and are heavy laden. Now that word laden is a, a, a word we don't use a whole lot today, but it just means to carry a burden. And so what is Jesus saying? He's saying all of you who are working and, and are burdened by the gods you carry, come to me and I will give you rest. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is speaking here into this this world that the people around him lived in, and it's the same world we live in. This world that we are constantly burdened by pressure that of our own making or the making of others. This burden of having to prove or impress. This burden of having to shoulder the gods that we want to trust in. And what Jesus offers us is a freedom from that, a rest for our souls. That we don't have to be burdened anymore by the gods that we carry, but we can come to the God who carries us and find that in him there is rest and hope and life and all the things that we so desperately long for. It's, at, it's by drinking from the stream of God's grace that we get to live in this. But listen, there's no other way. It's only by coming to Jesus. It's only by coming to Jesus that we can find the rest for our souls. I was reminded of this. I'm going to double down here on an Narnia example. I know last week I shared one from The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, and this is one um, from the next book in the series, which is um, The Silver Chair. I think it's the silver chair. I could be wrong. I, I'm pretty sure, though. Um, and, and there we, uh, we meet this girl named Jill. Jill is a classmate of Eustace. Eustace was the, the boy who turned into a dragon last week that I talked about. And, and Eustace and Jill are schoolmates at a boarding school, um, and they're running away from some bullies and get swept into Narnia. And, and there, Jill, um, at some point in the story, is dying of thirst. She's dying of thirst. And she comes across a stream. Good news, right? There's a stream. She can drink. But here's the problem. Right next to the stream, she sees a lion. She sees Aslan, who is the Christ figure in the story of Narnia. And She's terrified to pursue the stream. She doesn't, she's dying of thirst. She needs to drink, but she doesn't want to go near the stream because she's afraid of the lion. 
And Aslan speaks to her and says, why don't you come and drink? And I'm, I'm paraphrasing all this, but she essentially says this, um, I'm not going to come to that stream because you're going to eat me. <laughs> and, and Aslan says, basically, well, yeah, maybe. That's the risk you got to take. And she tries to have this conversation and says, well, I'll come drink from that stream if you promise not to eat me, and he won't, pro- won't promise that. And then she asks him, well, do you, do you eat girls? And he says, sure. I, I've, I've eaten kings and kingdoms and dominions. And so she says, oh, I guess I better find another stream. And he says to her, there is no other stream. And, and there is something that Lewis just shows us so beautifully in that story. That the way to God's grace is not necessarily the safest. It's not necessarily the most comfortable. But it's the only hope we have. And when we get there, when we trust in him, when we come to him, as hard as that leap might be in the beginning, as, as hard as it might be to take that first step towards Christ and the stream that he offers us, when we do, we find ourselves fully satisfied and fully loved and fully approved of. And all the things that our hearts really long for, they're met in Jesus. But they're only met in Jesus. There is no other stream. We need to be reminded of that this morning. And I am so grateful that we had the time to talk through this. This has been so good for my heart because I need to hear these things. And I'm sure that to some degree, some of you need to hear this too. So I hope that's been encouraging. Listen, if you, um, if you want to reach out uh, to me, I, one of the things that I greatly miss about our, our time together as we were able to gather in, in church is just being able to walk around and have short conversations with, with so many of you each Sunday. And I really miss that. And that was one of the ways that I, I really love to be able to just stay connected in what's going on in your life and how I can be praying for you. And I don't feel like I get that very naturally right now. And so if, if you would like, you can just shoot me an email or, or give me a call if you have that. But I'm going to put my email address in the description of the video so that uh, you can shoot me an email. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be, it can be whatever you want, long or short. Um, but I would love to hear how you're doing. I would love to hear what's going on, um, and, and I would love to be praying for you. So, so with that said, um, I just want to invite you to do that, but right now we're, we need to step into the presence of God and be reminded again of his goodness and grace to us. And we're going to sing a song this morning that's, uh, it's a new song. It's new to us at least. Um, I think it's only a, a year or two old, um, even even still. And it's just a very simple song. It's a song called Jesus, Strong and Kind. And what this song, as simple as it is, as easy to sing as it is, it just reminds us again of the fact that Jesus is our strong and kind Savior who says to us that if we thirst, we should come to him.
He says, if we fear, we should come to him. He says, if we're lost, he will come to us. Let's be grateful for that reminder today. And we're going to sing a few songs in praise to him, starting with that one. And then we'll, we'll sing a couple that you're probably more familiar with from, uh, from our church. And then uh, we'll, we'll conclude our service with a benediction. Um, so with that said, I am so grateful for the time we had. And we'll, we will um, we'll go and transition into a time of singing right now.